Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Fupolino podcast. Today, I'm joined by our first guest, a very special guest, Matt Rothman. What's going on, my buddy? Yeah, hello. It's certainly great to be on here, our first one together, and yeah, especially after the week or two weeks that we had of international break, certainly couldn't have been better. So uh, tell everybody uh, who you are and what you do and just general information about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Matt Rothman, currently a junior, junior at the University of Florida. I've been a big soccer football fan, whatever you want to call it, for a long time. A big Bayern fan because I am German, partly, and that is the reason why I follow them. They've been great for years, won the sextuple in 2020-21 that season, and yeah, certainly ups and downs, of course, but that's with every club, Yep. but yeah, that's a bit about me. Uh, as my fandom, I do write a lot of stuff, whether it is for soccer, whether it is for football, for ESPN Gainesville, I do mainly broadcasting, which has been a big passion of mine for a few years. And as of right now, that might be the thing that I look into going into, but certainly podcasting like this is awesome as well. So you so you mentioned broadcasting. You've been doing some work with the Florida Gators. Um, is that what you want to do? Do you want to do college football or just football in general or do you want to get into European football yeah I certainly like doing college football because I don't know what it is about the atmosphere that really gets me a bit energized but it really has helped me sort of pick up certain things that have helped me in my broadcast now there are a lot of sort of networking ideas that I will have to do just to get and progress to my first job. But as you mentioned, European soccer is certainly something that I'm open to and something that I do want to pursue later. I know, of course, we only have, you know, the Gators women's soccer team. There's no men's team here. So, and as well, it's difficult to get broadcasting opportunities there. So it is difficult at the moment, but certainly if there is any sort of path with internships with MLS teams and I'd be very open to doing that for sure soccer is a it's a growing sport and you see more and more that um, companies are are starting to hire more Americans and I think uh, we're currently right now in the perfect path to potentially be some of those Americans that might get jobs abroad and you know, the MLS is growing now because of the signing of Lionel Messi. Yeah, and the expansion, too. A lot of teams have gotten their expansion fees in, and it's been growing for years now. Exactly. So there's more opportunity now for us. And um, as the game grows in America, it, it'll only, you know, increase our chances of potentially uh, finding a job in the field. So let's move on to... The international break, which has just ended. Um, one of the big stories uh, heading back into club football is that Italy may not qualify for the 2024 Euros. Um, currently in Group C, England have already qualified with 16 points in six games. Ukraine are currently in second with 13 points in seven games, while Italy has 10 points in six games. They're in third place. And it's just Italy have not been performing to the level that we know they should be. We all know that they failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Then they went on to win the 2020 Euros in 2021. And then they failed to qualify yet again for another World Cup. And losing to North Macedonia in the uh, playoff semifinals, um, Portugal went on to beat North Macedonia to qualify for the World Cup. Everybody expected it to be an Italy-Portugal final, but 
Italy didn't put up their end of the of the bid, and now North Macedonia are in Italy's uh, Europa League group. Um, excuse me, Euro qualifying group. They tied to them in the first time they played. Um, they have to play North Macedonia again in the final round of uh, qualification. And Italy also play Ukraine in November. Ukraine just need to play one more game in their group, and it's Italy. And they're going to have the better fitness going into the game. Uh, before the Italy-Ukraine game, they're going to face off against North Macedonia three days before the big game. Um, all Ukraine needs is a win. Uh, if Italy end up struggling yet again to North Macedonia, they could end up tying, and all Ukraine would need is a tie. And, and not to mention that already Italy has drawn against North Macedonia in their first game. So, and, if, and with the 2021-22, what happened, whichever year it was when they lost to North Macedonia. So it's not a pushover game for Italy, so they still have to go into that game with, a lot in mind and considering the state of the team how Mancini left over the summer how a lot of players especially in attack have just been out of form some in the midfield as well this is a team in massive limbo and I don't know how they get out of it yeah they're struggling defensively uh offensively just their 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 team they're a country that has just a bunch of talent, but in the international side of things, it's just it just has not been working out in their favor. I mean, they did go on and beat a Spain team that just recently won the Nations League uh, when they won the Euros. They beat England, who have already qualified for the next Euros, in the final uh, after going 1-0 down to a Luke Shaw uh, goal early on in the game. But I don't know. It's just Italy had one good tournament, and since then their their players have been nothing but subpar. Moving on, I think it's a good time to talk about how uh, I talked about this in my last episode. But today I'm going to go more into depth now that we already know the results in Group A. Uh, Holland and Norway may fail to qualify for another competition yet again. Holland was uh, already a big name during the last Euros, and Norway failed to qualify for that tournament. They failed to qualify for the most recent World Cup, and now they're potentially uh, not going to qualify for the Euros as they are in Group A, and Spain and Scotland have already qualified in Group A. So the next round of European qualifiers is literally going to be useless for all parties involved because... No, nobody can get a qualification spot for it. Uh, while this might be good for Spain and Scotland because they might be able to test the waters and maybe call up a couple players to see uh, how they could do in the international stage, Norway is stuck in a spot where they have to qualify through Nations League. And this is a little confusing because there's different groups in the Nations League. Um like we mentioned before, Italy, if Italy failed to qualify in the group stage, they could qualify through Nations League in a playoff. Um, same thing with Norway, but Norway are going to need a lot more help uh, in regards to potentially making that playoff. Um, Matt, I was wondering if you could potentially explain to the viewers and potentially even explain to me a little bit better uh, what what Norway and Italy uh, are going to be facing in this um, this uh, potential uh, Nations League playoff qualification. Yeah. yeah, so of course we know a few years ago they created the Nations League where they have these four leagues depending on rankings of teams. And they have, they've already had, I believe, three Nations League comp competitions already in which some teams have gotten relegated and they have expanded some of the leagues. Now, League A, which features the 16 best teams, 
have four for each group. So most of those teams are in positions to qualify, and those are the likes of Spain, Netherlands, Denmark, Portugal, Belgium, you know, those teams. So it's more than likely that regardless of how a team in League A finishes, they'll either be in the playoff or be qualifying. Croatia is in the same boat as Italy right now. Both of them did well in their Nations League appearances, yet now they're struggling in group stages of the qualifying, but both do have that chance in the playoff. For Norway, it's a bit more complicated because they didn't win their group for the Nations League in 2022. And now it goes based on rankings for the playoffs because the rule is in leagues A, B, and C. So that's like the three leagues besides League D, which has the seven worst teams in Europe. So League B is where Norway is in, and there's already two teams qualified for the playoffs because they can't make it in through the qualifiers, which is Bosnia and Finland. Both of them will not be able to finish in the top two in each of their group. So that leaves two other teams that can qualify in that league. Israel is the top team in that league. They're ranked 17th, and we know they haven't been able to play games due to the ongoing war, so we'll have to see how they fare in their last three games of qualifying. But the other teams in it, Serbia have already qualified, so they're fine. Scotland have already qualified. Ukraine is a team that's above Norway in that ranking, and it's interesting that we mention them because Ukraine, they could qualify, but if they don't, then they're able to go into the playoffs since they're a top-four team in that group. And that's where Norway needs a lot of help from because there's all, as we mentioned, there's already two teams that are in the playoff. So Ukraine has to qualify if Norway wants a shot. And either, and most likely Israel would have to qualify before because Iceland, we know they're not going to qualify. And they're also above Norway. So Norway has a lot to go for them right if they want to have that chance at a playoff. And it certainly doesn't look good for them with the defense they're putting out the midfields rather subpar as well and they haven't really they don't really have much outside of Holland and Odegaard so a lot of debate going on right now is that we're losing Ronaldo and Messi but we're gaining Mbappe and Holland but I feel that Mbappe is going to easily dominate the quote-unquote goat debate uh, between Holland and uh, Mbappe, if Holland never makes a, a tournament for his country, right? Uh, Mbappe won the World Cup at 18 years old with France. So, and Holland can't even make uh, Group A of the Nations League, right? Yeah. So, it, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, Odegaard is a fantastic player. Unfortunately, was never able to really do anything for Real Madrid. But he's been dominating uh, the midfield in the best league in the world, which is the English Premier League for Arsenal, who are currently tied for first place yet again this season. But who knows what's going to happen there. It's unfortunate because Holland is a fantastic player. Um, people uh, don't seem to want to appreciate Holland because of how one way of a player he is uh can't really dribble can't really pass but he's a machine and he's going to score you goals and I feel like people um either because of their jealous because Holland is not on their team <laughs> or because they just don't really know how to appreciate a player who's just really good at what he does and, and that's what Holland is and that's also the debate where it comes in about Kevin De Bruyne and his impact for City because a lot of people, especially on Twitter, have been saying about how whatever Holland does and how he performs is based on De Bruyne's availability because De Bruyne makes a lot of these passes to Holland and he dictates the game in a way for sure. that really benefits Holland. So with De Bruyne out, some of them, some of the critics of Holland have really come out and really picked that apart and 
have noticed that De Bruyne's impact on the game and on Holland is really magnified. I agree with that. I think De Bruyne is a massive impact on how well Holland is doing. But I don't think people understand that Manchester City are a team that you'd expect to always be first place. Um, They're in third place right now. Um, They have 18 points and they sit in third. But, you know, it's affecting the whole team that De Bruyne is not there, right? So De Bruyne is a massive piece to this Manchester City midfield, this Manchester City puzzle that when he's not there, it just doesn't quite to seem to fit right, right? So although, yes, De Bruyne being out is definitely going to affect Holland's ratios, but I think it just affects Manchester City like completely. Um, but yeah, Norway looks like they're going to, most likely miss yet another tournament because even if they make the playoffs to potentially qualify for the Euros, who knows if who knows who they're gonna go against? Yeah, right? they're most likely gonna go against Israel or Bosnia. Whoever you know, if Israel were to qualify outright, they'd face Bosnia. So it doesn't look good at all. I know Bosnia; they haven't had the best success in their group stages, but we've seen how tough they've been. I mean, they were also in League A just. Two two nations leagues ago, so yeah, they're they're, they're a team still that, solid. They're a team that fights hard. Um, they're a team that's gonna defend uh, phenomenally, and then try to get you on the counter. And they practice that a lot. And they're a team that you don't want to face. So it's gonna be interesting for Norway in that regard. Moving on, Netherlands seems to be struggling, but they're really not. Uh, they have 12 points in six games. They lost both times to France. Um, they're going to play Ireland and Gibraltar, who they obviously have beaten in the last uh, two matchups. They faced the teams. Gibraltar doesn't even have a goal in any of their games. So. Yeah, a small island next to Spain. I think Netherlands is going to do just fine against them. Um I think the big worry, at least for Netherlands, would come during the Euros rather than now because, yeah, they might be struggling, but they're most likely going to qualify. Yeah, I think um, uh, their games against France really highlights that, right? Um, they, they're, they're getting outplayed by France. Now, France, in my opinion, is the best nation in the world, but the Euros is arguably the best competition in the world. Uh, you're going to be facing uh, a lot tougher teams in the Euros than a team might in the World Cup. Um, so it's, it's very disappointing to see how the Netherlands are playing against France. Uh, that's definitely something they need to keep an eye on uh, heading into the Euros if they make it, right? Because if they end up not qualifying, um, it would be because of Greece, who have... 12 points in seven games. They are tied with Netherlands on points, but Netherlands do have the game in hand. And Greece do play France in the final game of the uh, of their Euro uh, group stage. And, you know, it would be safe to put your money on France in that game, especially if they're dominating a team like the Netherlands that gave Messi and Argentina a run for their money uh, in the last couple minutes of that World Cup game. You know, I think Netherlands are going to beat Ireland comfortably. They're going to beat Gibraltar. But definitely heading into that Euro, it's going to be something to watch. Um, You know, the Netherlands, they're pretty decent defensively. And they have some good players on the attack. But I think it's that midfield that they really struggle in. They have Frankie de Jong, who's a fantastic player. Obviously plays for Barcelona. And... What I think they're missing is that Genie Wijnaldum. Yep. Uh, he got injured early last season, uh, didn't really play all year, and you know he was their captain. And now that they're missing a player like Genie, who knows if he were to come back into the fold, that he would really have the same impact as he had bef- previously uh, before that injury. But yeah, something needs to be fixed in that midfield. And a lot also has to do with 
managing as well because ever since Ronald Koeman's come back, I guess you could say he's broken more records, which hasn't been on the right side at all. But we saw his end of his tenure at Barca wasn't great at all. And in his two games against France, it hasn't been great whatsoever. So you're going to have to see a lot more from Koeman because before he became Barca manager, he was doing really well for Netherlands. They he had was. a really good unbeaten run. But ever since he's come back, I don't know if it's just because the players were used to Van Hall's philosophy or whether or not he hasn't been able to instill what he had before into the side, but something hasn't really worked out. So luckily their next two games shouldn't be that difficult to pick up wins in. But going into the Euros... It's going to be a big question as to how they perform because we know they the talent they have, but the last Euros they lost in the round of 16 to, I believe, Czech Republic, if I'm not mistaken. And certainly there's a lot of you know questions to be asked about whether or not they could be, they could perform, you know, after, you know, the round of 16, if they get into these tougher teams like your France's, like your Portugal's for example. Yeah, I'm just trying to pull up um, to try to see if... I think it was Euro 2020. I yeah. think that's what, that's that's where I went wrong. Um, but yeah, you know, Netherlands is that team that you expect to make the tournament. You expect them to... Um, you expect them to make the qualifying rounds. You expect them to be the most dominant team in their group and as we see yes they did lose 2-0 to the Czech Republic um but the Czech Republic actually were pretty decent that tournament right they had uh Schick had yeah, that Schick, halfway goal halfway. Schick had a great tournament also yeah. like Delik got sent off that game as well mm. which brought them down to 10 men by the time and then they got two goals after so of course unlucky there but the main thing with the Dutch is that they're going to have to really step it up in the later rounds when they face, like, as I mentioned, the tougher teams like your Portugal's, your France's. Mm-hmm. Belgium, of course, they're on a rocky road because who knows how well they perform in another tournament. But certainly your tougher teams, the Netherlands, are going to have to really take over and make sure that you know they could surpass them in that sense because they haven't done that since... 2014 2010 for at sure the World Cup. for sure and partly that world cup run was you know mexico kind of got screwed oh, in a yeah. way <laughs> um and they you know they still haven't forgotten about that but yeah i mean just looking looking at these teams that made the quarterfinals uh of the past euro belgium italy switzerland spain ukraine england czech republic denmark there's only three teams on that list Maybe four. There's only four teams on that list that I could say um, that the Netherlands are better than, right? So I'd say Switzerland, Ukraine, the Czech, and Denmark, even though they lost to the Czech Republic. Um, I don't see them beating England. I don't see them coming close to Spain. Uh, Italy has struggled. So maybe... I want to say that they're better than Italy, but yeah, I'd exactly. say I'd say it'd be a game that could go either way. And Belgium, if they have a healthy Kevin De Bruyne, I'd say Belgium are way better than them. So interesting to see what happens with Netherlands there. Um, but that wraps up the international break on the European side. I'm going to move on to Gomebol, which is South America. Um, Brazil started the international break sitting on top of the group with six points and they have dropped the third. They currently have seven points. Um, they tied to Venezuela who has had a surprising group stage to say the least in four games. They have about seven points as well. Um, and Brazil also lost to Uruguay two to nothing Darwizzi. Darwin Nunez uh, had a goal and an assist that game. Unfortunate news for Brazil as Neymar is probably out of the Copa America. 
Uh, he has torn his ACL and his meniscus. Um, tough news. Uh, Neymar, just a player that has always been, has always had a crazy amount of talent and just a player that, you know, I basically grew up watching that prime MSN, prime uh, BBC, and just a player that you did not want to go up against. And, you know, it, you know, as a Madrid fan, you know, I never had any love for Neymar, but as a football fan, you, you know, uh, after Neymar stopped uh, basically diving all over the floor, uh, I began to kind of enjoy his game. And uh, it's unfortunate to see what has happened the last couple seasons, making that Champions League final, not a, not being able to win. Um, but, you know, he made his decision to leave Barca when they were in their prime. Uh, he wanted to be the man, but let's just say he was never the man at PSG either. And he also wanted to come back just a few seasons after that. So it really turned into a move that was disastrous for all parties, Barca, PSG, and Neymar as well. And as you mentioned, Neymar, there's like this term, what if player. And Mm -hmm. I think Neymar perfectly encapsulates that because for all the talent he had, he easily should be at least a top five player ever. And now there's questions as to whether... He's top 10 because if you look at even the international trophies that Brazil has won, besides the gold medal that he won in 2016, he hasn't really played a big part in their Copa America final just, um, like, I believe, two se- t- like a few years ago where he was injured. So, yep. really, he hasn't really taken that guard as we all expected to. Like after he made his move from Barcelona to PSG, and now he's in the Saudi league, which, you know, basically closes the chapter on Europe. And so that's really where we stand with Neymar, and his injury is very unfortunate for Brazil. Of course, we know especially how he can really carry that team, but of course, Brazil, they have their own problems as well. Losing to Uruguay wasn't really in the cards for them, and now. They really got to build up after, you know, a couple pro- poor performances in the World Cup qualifying. Yep. And, you know, it's still early days. Uh, I don't think World Cup qualifying for them is going to finish anytime soon. They have 18 match days. So yeah, I there's mean, 18 match days and World Cup isn't until 2024. 26. 26, but, excuse yep. me. So we still, you know, we still have 2024 we still have 2025 in the early part of 2026 as well so exactly so there's still tons of time for brazil there's nothing to worry they they sit comfortably in a third place right now um and also because of the expanded teams there's now like 48 teams now exactly involved there's like an extra team or two that could make it out of south america Mm -hmm. it's uh i think the top seven move on and eighth place goes to a playoff um, Brazil, I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to still be a top 10 nation at the end of this qualifying. So they're still going to be, I don't know how the pots are going to work, uh, but they're still going to definitely be in pot A. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they, they should have no worries. Um, I think their goal right now is to, to find form, uh, Vinny's coming off of an injury, uh, Richarlison just has not been the Richarlison we saw at the World Cup, he struggled against, he struggled for Tottenham, which is interesting seeing how they lose Harry Kane, but their first place in the Prem, or yeah, their first place in the Prem yeah, tied with Arsenal. do with a lot with, because Son has gotten a lot better this season and James Madison has been mm-hmm. a big X factor for them. Yeah, for sure. I think Richarlison is still a fantastic player, um, but Tottenham has been able to perform in ways that, they don't need to depend on Richarlson. So, but yeah, Brazil just needs to find form. Um, I'm not a fan of Marquinhos. Oh, I think yeah, he I think... is a D1 choker. <laughs> I think he is a fantastic center back uh, when you're playing an average team. Um, so, League Un, he's going to be one of the best center backs in that league. Um, but, you know, you play your Real Madrid's, you play 
your Liverpools, you play your cities. Um, like even against Bayern last year, he didn't really showcase a whole lot. It was mainly Ramos pulling the strings for PSG. Exactly. So, I mean, just the poor. He, he's a decent center back for Brazil, right? But in my opinion, if Militao comes back, and he comes back to the Militao we've seen, the two best center backs Brazil have are Gabriel and Militao. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Brazil, just a team struggling to find form. They'll definitely find it. Nothing to worry there. Moving on, Argentina are now in first place. I think I saw something where they've only lost one game and I think the last 40 or 50 um matches i do not know 100 percent if that is accurate so i did do some math though and i went to their last 20 and in their last 20 games they've won 18 tying one and losing one that loss coming saudi arabia to saudi arabia in the first match of their world cup uh tournament um and yeah ever since then they've just been a fantastic team even before then they were a fantastic team so Messi, I think, was able to come back uh, after that injury. He wasn't really able to play for Inter-Miami. Um, but he's back. He's doing Messi-type things. Nothing to worry about. And, yeah, that wraps up our international break. I want to move on and talk Bundesliga with you, Matt. Um, you are basically you're the person that has the most Bundesliga knowledge that you know I'm friends with um quickly before we start a new segment in the podcast um I want to talk about the top four in the Bundesliga Bayer Leverkusen lead with 19 points in seven games uh right behind them is Stuttgart with 18 points and that is a surprising top two to say the least Bayer Leverkusen being first you could kind of see it based on how the Bundesliga is always a, a very weird league. But then behind them is Stuttgart, which is a team that, you know, people, I mean, growing up, uh, there they were always a team that I saw being in the relegation battle. And now they're in second place of the Bundesliga after, um, after seven games. Uh, and third place uh, is Bayern Munich, who are tied on points with Borussia Dortmund. Uh, that being 17 points. So your Bayern Munich is only two points uh, behind Leverkusen. Um, a win could easily put them top of the league. Um, what is what is the team that you want to watch? Uh, want the viewers and want us to watch uh, coming back from this international break? Yeah, so... As you mentioned, the top team, Bayer Leverkusen, I think that's really the perfect place to start with because the way they played football, the players, the manager, Xabi Alonso, what he's instilled into this team has been absolutely phenomenal. And you go back to last season where before they had Alonso in as manager, they were struggling a lot. They were in the relegation zone, near the relegation zone. They struggled in the Champions League. They somehow got third in that group, which got them Europa League. A big tie against the Atletico yeah, and the dying embers of the match. I still can't believe Atletico didn't win that match. Yeah, but there were there were rumors that, well, it wasn't really rumors. It was heavy news that Simeone would get sacked after that, finishing fourth in a Champions League group. That's just something Atletico should never do. And, uh, yeah, recently they give him a new contract. So And he's also still the highest paid manager in the world. Ridiculous. So that too, but... For Leverkusen, since they've gotten Xabi Alonso, 47 games as manager, 26 wins, 11 draws, 10 losses. So he's really picked up this team from the struggles they had last season before he came in, and now he's really taken them to a new level. And, of course, you can't do it without players. And the new additions to this team have really taken their part and done really well. Granted, Shaka is probably the biggest part because what Leverkusen really needed last season was a guy to really dictate that midfield and really push up and maybe defend if they needed to. Xhaka had a great season for Arsenal as a bit more 
advanced of as an eight. And now sort of he's playing that role. He doesn't need to be as advanced because you still have guys like Florian Verts who can take that role of a 10. And Xhaka has really responded well playing alongside Ezekiel Palacios, who has done really well defensively as a six. He's currently amongst the best, not just in the Bundesliga, but in the world when it comes to tackles, interceptions. So he really knows how to play his position. And then you get to the attack, which you have guys like Victor Boniface, who came from Union of the Belgium League, and he currently has seven goals, two assists on the season. So he's really taken that mantle as a striker. So you have him, Verts, and this other guy who came from Borussia Mönchengladbach last season to Leverkusen, Jonas Hoffmann. He's played really well so far, and so you have that front three that has really dictated play. They have 23 goals so far in the Bundesliga, including a really big win in their first match day against Leipzig. So you see sort of these guys that have played really well for Leverkusen in attack. And also we mentioned Jack and Palacios in the midfield, but I think a very underrated part of them comes from the back line and the fullbacks as well. So we know about Tapsoba. A lot of people have heard of him. The rumors about going maybe to Spurs, to the Premier League. He's been solid. But a guy that I've wanted to highlight a bit because he just made his German, like his first German appearance since Germany had Yogi Lovin as manager, Jonathan Ta, who has really done much better this season as opposed to previous seasons. Not just defensively, but he's also gotten a lot more comfortable on the ball, which is why he's been able to really play into that style that Xabi Alonso wants as the Leverkusen manager. And as well, he also played some rather solid games with Germany as well, even if he was in a position like at right back at times when it's not his natural position, but he's done well there. Of course, they have Kosenu, so that back three has done really well for Leverkusen. And then you have the fullbacks, Jeremy Fringpong, a lot of people have heard about him. Fantastic very, Yeah, very fast and can get down that right-hand side really well. I, I watched my first uh, Leverkusen game uh, in forever. Uh, probably the first one, uh, definitely the first one this season. And it was their Europa League match, the most recent Europa League match. And I just... Fring Pong is just so small, but the way that he's all over the field, he's in attack, he's in defense, he's in the midfield. It's just a fantastic player that has just really um, progressed under Xavi Alonso. And I would not be surprised if he makes a big money move this season. Yeah, certainly that was something that many people were thinking he would do in the summer, but with the season he's having and the effect that he does have going forward and defending, as you mentioned, as well as the speed that he does have. A lot of teams, when they go for fullbacks, they really like to have the speed because it's such an attacking game now, especially in the top leagues where you, where a fullback can really dictate that part of the game, whether it's going down the wing or even helping out in defense. But going to the other side... Another guy they brought in, Alejandro Grimaldo, who has done really well so far. And, you know, I saw his goal against Bayern. I watched the whole game, and still that free kick was insane. And even though that's what he's really good at, he's a free kick specialist, he's also done really well just meshing with the midfield, linking up with guys like Shaka Palacios. And he's, in some way, even though he may not, you know, possess the speed as Fringpong. He's sort of done his job down that left-hand side and helping out Verts if he's needed it. So mm -hmm. overall, this team has been very organized. They know the roles in general. And even guys on their bench like Oddly, Holshek, they both have done their part in Andrik as well. You know, it's a team that has depth. And of course, you... If you're Leverkusen, you don't want any injuries to happen because this is like 
them and Bayern probably have the two best starting 11s right now in the Bundesliga. For sure. So, of course, an injury would hurt, but most importantly, they do have that depth. Whereas if Xhaka got injured, they could slot an Andrik. If a guy in attack got injured, they could slot an oddly a youngster like Holschek. And, you know, you'll get that same impact. But looking at this starting 11 and this team in general, it's just really complete in the way that Xabi Alonso has set up this team tactically, how he's really gotten this team to really push forward after he came in last season. Really can't say enough about the job he's done. For sure, he's been fantastic. And um, I think he's the leading candidate to replace... um... Carlo Ancelotti at yeah. Real Madrid, and I think that would be fantastic. I mean, the way he completely transformed Leverkusen to potentially being at a team that he doesn't need to transform. He just needs to be there and help these young guys out. I mean, he's a CDM. A lot of people say Chuameni struggled last season. Um, I disagree with that. <laughs> I think he had a fantastic season before the World Cup, and after the World Cup, uh, Real Madrid as a whole, just weren't the same team. Um, but yeah, you come in and you teach this Chuameni, who's a basically a better defensive-minded Pogba, and you bring in Xabi Alonso to teach him little things about the game that he may not know right now. And I think he could become the most elite CDM of all time. Um, you see Camavinga. Xavi Alonso comes in to teach Camavinga something, Valverde something, uh, all different types of players. But Xavi Alonso, I think, is has a fantastic mind. Um, his father was a coach before him. Uh, he came out of the Sociedad system, played for uh, a manager uh, in Rafa Benitez when Rafa Benitez was a good manager. <laughs> uh, now I now I dislike the guy with a passion. Um due to his tactical uh, ideologies. But that's, you know, a topic for another time. I briefly talked about it, I think, in my last episode. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he and then he played for Real Madrid. He played under Don Carlo Ancelotti. He's played under Mourinho. He's played under um, Pep when he went to Bayern. So he's just, you know, I think he's tactically sound. Now it's just, can he, uh, if he were to go to Madrid, would he be able to produce results? And yeah, and I think as well as you mentioned, you know, that big move, of course. A lot of people, when they see these, like, mid-table teams, well, I'm not saying Leverkusen's a mid-table team per se, but teams that are not used to being at that top level, that get to that top level because of a manager. You saw it a bit with Brian and Graham Potter when he made his move to Chelsea how poorly that turned out so you don't want the same result the lucky thing is for Xavi Alonso and teams like Bayern Liverpool and Real Madrid since all three of his former sides is that there's a clause in his contract that would allow each of the three teams to get a say if they were to approach Xavi Alonso as the manager for their team so in essence whichever team he picks I don't think Byron would fire Tuchel just now. And, of course, Klopp extended his contract. So mm-hmm. Real Madrid's the most likely candidate for now, assuming that Ancelotti doesn't stay past this season. So with that being said, it would most likely, if Xavi Alonso were to go, were to want to go to Real Madrid, you know, it would be rather easy for them to get him. For sure. When, uh, when was this, uh, con- uh, this clause in the contract uh, initiated? Uh, I don't know when it's initiated, but it was reported like last Friday that he is basically, if any of the former sides he was on were to approach him to be a manager of their team, then Leverkusen, there would either be some sort of fixed fee mm-hmm. or Leverkusen would have to just let him go. I think it's a, it would probably be a, um, what'd you call it? A release fee? No, yeah. what's it called? Well, it could be a. Re- yeah, something like that. Release clause. Yeah. It's a specific. It's a team specific release clause, which um, yeah, you 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 see that a lot. Um, you you often see it with like players, some players that want to use some clubs as like stepping stones, where it's like I'll come to your club, 
But if a team like this and this and this makes an offer, like a top five La Liga team comes in and makes an offer for me, like, I'm sorry, but like that has to be in the contract where if it reaches at least this amount of money, you have to let me go. Yeah, exactly. So that's very interesting. Um, I've never seen it done in a manager. I know managers do have release clauses, just never team specific. So that would be interesting. And uh, since Ancelotti has basically been confirmed to be the Brazil manager for next season, um, I wouldn't doubt it if uh, uh, Real Madrid do go for Xavi Alonso. Um, very interested to see what his potential, um, his staff maybe. Um, there were, uh, you know, everybody expected, no one really talks about it anymore, but everybody expected Real Madrid, Real Madrid's Castilla coach to be the future Real Madrid coach, which is Raul. And, uh, but, you know, rumors have that haven't really come back up because of uh, how well Xabi Alonso has been doing. Um, moving on, let's talk about some La Liga, my specialty. Uh, Real Madrid lead with 24 points in nine games. Uh, Girona are the surprising team in second, uh, 22 and nine. Real Madrid beat Girona to take back that first place spot. Barcelona have 21 points, and Atletico have 19, but they've only played eight games. Uh, they do have a game in hand on all parties. If they were to win their game in hand, they would be tied with Girona in second place. Uh, my team to watch is Real Betis. So Betis have been a team that have been that started the season off great, but they've been in some unlucky form. They started the season with a 2-1 win over Villarreal, uh, a team that unfortunately has been on the wrong end of the table this season, a team that sold Pau Torres, a team that sold Nico Jackson, and a team that sold Samuel Chukweze, and they haven't really replaced them. Um, but Betis, they have 13 points in nine games, which doesn't seem good. But they're in seventh. They sit in seventh place. And if you listen to my episodes uh, last uh, season, Real, um, Real Madrid, La Liga is a league that's very close when it comes to that top half, bottom half, um, and the top half, bottom half side of the table. Um, just a couple points. And Betis could actually end up being in 15th place. Uh, that's just how tight the league is. Uh, but I think Betis are going to be just fine. Um, they've only won one game out of their last five, though. It was a 3-0 win over a Valencia team who's in ninth place, who has actually been in surprising form considering how poor they were last season. Um, they did tie. They've had three 1-1 ties. Um, first one came against Cadiz, then Granada, then Alaves. And... Um, they lost 5-0 versus Barcelona. And that was a terrible game that just nothing went right for them. But um, in their Europa League side, they the group is very close. Uh, all four teams have three points. Betis happened to sit on the bottom of those four. But as I said, only two games have been played in Europa League, and um, they're all tied. They lost against Rangers, which is a Scottish powerhouse. Um and they beat Sparta Prague, um, a team that I think Betis should be able to beat. Uh, Rangers as well as a team that Betis should be beating. Unfortunately, I think that was during the rough patch uh, after their loss against Bayern. That uh, Bayern after their loss against Barca, that everything just ended up not really clicking for them. But uh, I also want to have this episode's uh, player watch on Asane Diaw. Uh, he is an 18-year-old born on September 7th of 2005. Um, he has played in... Uh, he started in, excuse me, 75% of Betis's La Liga fixtures. Um, he has three goals in five games. Two of them coming in La Liga and one of them coming in the Europa League. He is 
a player with a bright future. He recently just made his debut for the Spain U21s. Um, he's scoring in La Liga at 18, which is something that, you know, on a consistent basis, starting as well, he's just a player that definitely has a future with the team. Uh, he's starting over the likes of Abde, uh, who is their recent signing from Barcelona, a talented Moroccan winger. Um, they both play that left-wing role, and Diaw has definitely taken that spot from him. So definitely a player to keep your eye on. Uh, 18 years old, as I said, has a ton of talent, and I'm definitely going to be keeping a close eye on him myself. Um, the next couple games Betis have before the next international break, uh, they face Getafe, Osasuna, Mallorca, and then the Sevilla Derby. Against Sevilla away from home. Um, they also play in the Europa League. They're going to be facing... Let's see. What's this team? <laughs> Aris Limassol. Excuse me for butchering your name. It is a team from Cyprus. Hmm. Cyprus Giants. Uh, they currently do lead <laughs> the Europa League group. Which is funny, but I think that's because of ABC order. <laughs> um, Betis, a team to watch, a team that has not been in the greatest form recently, but a team that is balling. They have Isco, who has been fantastic. He won three Man of the Match awards in the first three games of the season for Betis. He is a fantastic player who has finally been able to regain that Real Madrid 2017-18 uh, and even 2016-17 form. Betis uh, just sold Canales, uh, who was, I'm pretty sure he was their captain. But they've, they've been able to come back and they've been able to uh, move on from a big departure like that. Um, moving on, we're going to talk about some English Premier League. Um Tottenham lead the Premier League table. They have 20 points in eight games. Uh, Arsenal are tied on points. City have 18 points. And Liverpool have 17. The Merseyside Derby is coming up as Liverpool face Everton 7.30 a.m. on Saturday. I will not be watching that <laughs> game live. I'll tell you right now. Um Depending on what the score is, I'll probably watch the highlights. Everton have actually been in pretty decent form considering how poor of a team they are. Um, but I think Liverpool, uh, being at home as well, will definitely take uh, the game here. I guess you could say ever since Sean Dyche has come in against Everton, it's going to be very tough for some teams. I still remember sure. last season when Brighton got absolutely clobbered by them it was like 5-1 5 nothing, and yeah it was it was just one of those surprising games that you just don't expect mm -hmm. and yet especially with the manager like Sean Dyche who has pedigree given how well he did with Burnley he could really give it to some teams that aren't expecting oh aren't expecting to lose to Everton because they still, he still has that quality to do that for sure. Uh, Dice is a fantastic manager that was just let down by um, the new ownership that went into Burnley. Uh, they just weren't willing to invest in the transfer market, and um, Dice noticed that the team was falling behind, and that's exactly what happened. And that's why they got relegated. Why he was unfortunately sacked. Um, Everton, I think, are probably going to be the same way with him. Uh, he's got pretty decent players. Uh, they just sold Iwobi to Fulham uh, after Iwobi was pretty much a key part of their survival push last season. Let's see what they do with that money, if they even put it back into the team. Well, they kind of lost money from the Iwobi because they originally signed him for $40 million, which was an absolutely insane deal at the time. So. Yeah. That's the main thing with Everton. They've just been really poor when it comes to 
business decisions like that. They don't sell players for a whole lot, and they buy players for a bit more than what they should be. Yeah, they were they were having some fantastic times in the Premier League just a couple seasons ago uh, with Ancelotti as their manager. They bring in a player uh, like James Rodriguez into the fold, and Everton are sitting top three of the Premier League. And then, uh, you know, everybody expected them to fall off, yeah. but they still had a pretty decent season. Yeah, they finished, like, still mid-table, which yeah. is a lot better than what they are now. It's a it's a, it's a a finish that you would expect them to, even though Ancelotti wouldn't be with them next season, you'd still expect them to have a decent season, probably build up on that. But then, guess who comes in? Rafa Benitez. <laughs> and for some reason, he decided that James Rodriguez was the problem. I couldn't tell you why. But Hamas was the problem, apparently, and then, you know, he went and decided to go to, I think, Qatar to make some money. So, I mean, whatever. Uh, you know, <laughs> Benitez is no longer the manager of that team, well, too. I guess, so. I guess his, uh, you could say his sort of stint with Liverpool, he won plenty of trophies, he just goes to Everton to ruin them. Completely ruin them. <laughs> it was probably, you know, that that definitely should be investigated by the <laughs> FA. Uh, potential uh, doing some bad business. Um, moving on, City play Brighton at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, Brighton have done pretty well. They have 16 points in eight games. They currently sit in sixth, which is interesting because I think the two Brighton games I've watched this season is when they've been thrashed. So Yeah, that's been the thing with Brighton. They usually play really well, but their losses are just bad. Yeah. Like, you know they yeah. lose because they're just not mm – -hmm. they don't look good in that game. For sure. But the big thing, though, you – can expect from Brighton is that after a loss or poor performance, they'll always bounce back. Yep, they always tend to step it up. Um, the, there are two London derbies this um, weekend, or I guess this match day, because one of the games is during the week. Chelsea face Arsenal on Saturday at 1230. Definitely must-watch television. It is in Stamford Bridge. But I do believe Arsenal will be able to go and take all three points. Uh, Chelsea, I think, just recently won like their first game in forever. Um, but, yeah, Arsenal are just a fantastic team. Um, Saka, they were able to beat City without Saka. So I think they should comfortably beat um, Chelsea. And another London derby, first place Tottenham are taking on my Fulham on 3 p.m. on Monday should be a easy win for Tottenham. Uh, Fulham did knock them out of the Carabao Cup. Yeah, um, that was partly due to Tottenham. They basically played most of their B team, so they did play their B team. Uh, they got a lucky goal when Kenny Tate had to exit the field because his uh, shoe was destroyed and he had to go get a new boot. Um, but I think Tottenham will take this win. I did expect Tottenham to take that win um, at the Cottage when they played Fulham. But Tottenham at home, first place in the Premier League, playing their best players. I got to give it to Tottenham. Uh, I want to wrap up the episode by talking about the betting scandal that's been going on. Three Italians have been affected by it. Zaniolo, Fagioli, and probably a top three player in the world in his position, Sandro Tonali. Um, Sandro Tonali's agent has come out and said that he has a gambling addiction, which is unfortunate to see. But um, I hope all goes well. I hope he is able to recover from his addiction. Uh, he has been given a one-year ban and Fagioli has been given a seventh-month ban. I still don't know anything about Zaniolo's potential ban. Um, but something that was a bit of a headline during the summer transfer window was uh, Tonali's $70 million-plus figure move to Newcastle from Milan. And a lot of people were taken aback by this. Uh, Tonali is a player who grew up being a Milan fan, uh, loved by the Milan faithful, a player who wanted to stay there for the rest of his career. Uh, Milan wanted the same, but then out of nowhere, 
they kind of un like I don't know how to really say it, but they kind of force him out of the club without forcing him out of the club. Yeah, it's a, a lot of it has to do with just the finances of certain teams in Syria, especially. We've seen it a lot with Inter Milan, how they had to get rid of a few players. Like, they had to get rid of Hakimi a few years ago because of the financial turmoil they were in. They had to price Lukaku at a really high amount for the same reason. So we've seen problems, especially financially, with teams like Inter and now AC Milan because of financial fair play and certain other things there really forced to put Tonali out of the club, I guess, mainly because of the value that he brought back. But that's the main problem that really comes into play when it comes to really these teams that, whether it's because they're in depth or whether because like they need a lot of money, they just sell some of their top players just to get back money, even though you know, some of those players may not want to go, like Tonali in this case. For sure, that that's a big reason. But the counter-argument to that is that they went out and they bought Pulisic. They went out and they bought Loftus-Cheek. They went out and they bought Chikoweze. They went out and they got Reindeers or Reinders <laughs> from uh, PSV, was it? Or Firenord? I can't remember the club. But they're, they're spending the money that they got. Yeah. So if... It's a financial move, okay? I understand that. A weird player to sell. Uh, you probably could have sold Rafael Leao, right? You'd get more money. Plus, then you could bring in Pulisic, and you could potentially invest in another young player uh, for the future, and uh, Milan would be set. Obviously, losing Leao would be massive for Milan. But I just... If you're going to sell... If, if Milan is going to sell either... Leao or Tonali, in my opinion, it would have been Leao because we know for sure Leao is not going to be staying at AC Milan for another two seasons, right? So that would have made the most sense to me. They would have easily gone over 100 mil for him. But then now reports are coming out where it's, you know, Milan are being called shady uh, for doing this. There was a report that potentially... Uh, you know, it's a report, I'm not saying it's true or not, that they probably got a tip from the uh, Milan police uh, saying that they've been investigating uh, players and it looks like Donali is going to be in big trouble. Now, I don't know if that's true or not because reports after Fagioli uh, was uh, found in trouble of gambling, uh, reports came out and said that he was a whistleblower and mentioned Tonali's name, saying that uh, Tonali was the one that got him, uh, you know, got showed him the app or the website that he was using to do these, uh, um, not necessarily illegal gambling, but uh, definitely against the rules. You can't be betting on your own team, even if you're only betting that they're going to win. Uh, you still can't do that, uh, which makes complete sense to me. Uh, reports have come on said that if they bet against teams that uh, other Italian teams that their team isn't playing against, it wouldn't matter. But since they're betting on their own team, that's a big no-no. You can't do that. Um, you know, we, we see this a lot with Italy, man. We see a lot of their players get into trouble for dumb stuff like this. We see a lot of Italy has been um, a league that's been filled with corruption uh, Juventus having being relegated uh, for match fixing. So um, and then you had the point deduction last year too with them. So exactly. So I mean, it's a league that's just full of uh, basically match fixing in a form of gambling, right? Because match fixing can turn into uh, gambling in the sense that hey, ref, I'll give you this amount of money. Just make sure this team wins, and then the person giving the money ends up betting on the team winning right so it's all tied in i'm sure to some sort of gambling but you know very unfortunate a player like sandro tonali who's not even 24 years old i don't think and he he's playing for a team like newcastle who just completely dominated a subpar psg team to be frank uh, psg aren't really that good but they completely dominated them and now 
Newcastle are not going to have their best CDM. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out in the next couple weeks, couple months uh, regarding this. But, uh, you know, if Tonali does indeed uh, have a gambling addiction, uh, hopefully he can seek help and um, be able to overcome it. So, Matt, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. That basically wraps it up. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before uh, we close off? Yeah, I think uh, I don't have much to say, but thank you for allowing me to be on here and, of course, uh, talk about football with you. Of course. Anytime. Nothing to plug? You don't want anything plugged? You don't have a Twitter? <laughs> well, I don't use my professional Twitter, I guess you could say, a whole lot, but it's just Matt Rothman, M-A-T-T, and then R-O-T-H-M-A-N-N. That's my Twitter. All righty. Uh, I'll leave it. I'll leave his links and a couple of his articles in the description of the podcast. I want to thank you all for joining, uh, for listening to the podcast. Make sure to check out his Twitter and make sure to share the podcast with people that you know. Uh, thank you very much for listening and have a great rest of your night. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.